0: It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. Thank you, Pastor Paul. It is a great, great delight for me to be here with you, uh, particularly at this time, uh, realizing a little bit of what you have gone through. And- praying for you as much of the nation has been praying for you over these last several weeks. And uh, even as we were worshiping this morning, the Lord just put on my heart that wonderful passage from 2 Corinthians that says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus all the time, no matter what the difficulties and challenges. And just being in the presence of Jesus today, I, I, I just want to thank you for your heart for your perseverance, for pressing through in Christ and uh, knowing who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ and leaning strong on Him during this wonderful hour. Isn't it great to be in a wonderful, faith-filled presence like this? I tell you, this is the birthright that we have. This is the birthright that we have as believers to come immediately into the presence of the Lord. reminds me of a story I heard of a young lady, a college student who would given her heart to Christ And she was giving a testimony one night uh, in her service of how the Lord had changed her life, changed her ideas about a lot of things, including the Bible, and how that she now believed that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. Well, there was a skeptic that was in the audience that night, and he wasn't too impressed with what he was hearing this young lady say. And he came up to her after the service. He said, now, young lady, you look like you're fairly intelligent. I understand you're a college student you don't really believe that the Bible is true, do you? She said, uh, well, yes, sir, I do believe the Bible is true. He said, now, wait a minute, you mean that a smart girl like you believes all those miracle stories in the Bible? She said, well, yes, by faith, I, I do believe them. He said, now, hold on, you, you mean, you really believe that story about Jonah being swallowed by a great fish? She said, uh, well, yes, I do believe it. And further. You know, when I get to heaven, I, uh, I intend to ask Jonah about that. Well, this guy thought he'd be smart. He said, well, just suppose Jonah isn't in heaven. She said, well, then you ask him. So um, <laughs> so it's always good to be in an atmosphere of faith and to be with the Goldens again. After so many years, Pastor Paul and Sandy are uh, wonderful, lifelong friends, as he said. We haven't had the opportunity for much Uh, fellowship over the last several decades. But man, I tell you what, it it was so great just to pick up like where we left off last night, just like uh, it had just been a few weeks. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here this morning. I want to thank you for uh, what you represent, not only to this community, but to the world of your testimony in Christ. I honor you. I thank God for you. Let me just mention there are, in fact, uh, books at the back. I know you folks have gone through a lot. Some of you yet to uh, to get back to your homes. And so uh, I, uh, wh- whatever you want to pay. I do believe they're worth something, so I think you ought to give something. But uh, these are here for whatever you would like uh, at the table in the foyer at the back. This is a book that my wife and I co-wrote uh, as a family devotions book for young children. So if you have wonderful young children in your life, about ages 3 to 7 or 8, uh, children, grandchildren, uh, it's great for early readers as well. It's a full year of family devotions called Special Times with God. We've been thrilled how the Lord has used that book over the years, and many have brought their own children to faith in Christ and taught them just the basics of the of living for Jesus through that book. The most important book that I've ever written, I wrote a couple of years ago. It's called Entrusted, Anchoring Your Life in the Gospel. It's based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, as... We have been appointed by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. And so uh, this book is available as well as the audio edition of that book. I am so grateful to be here. There, I learned in seminary a, a, a phrase they called the ministry of presence. I called your pastor after the uh, hurricane and the floods, and I said, Pastor, look, I, you know, I'd be happy to reschedule. He said, no, I, th- I think you especially need to come now. And uh, we, we need a, an outside voice to come and, and uh, encourage. And so it's my tremendous privilege and honor to be with you today. I want you to know I honor you in Jesus Christ. Thank God for you. And uh, I pray that just my presence here would be a, a source by the Holy Spirit of encouragement and strengthening to you. Several years ago... I was just feeling adrift. I was doing a lot of work for God. I was very busy, extremely busy in work for the Lord. And yet, I, I just wasn't feeling tethered. I, I didn't feel like I was anchored to anything. I felt like I was adrift uh, in in uh, water. And you folks know about that. And uh, I, I I felt that I needed to go back and rediscover the 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 moorings, the anchors, the spiritual heritage in my life. And so I got in the car and I began to drive north back to Oklahoma where my roots are. And I drove to the little town of Drumright, Oklahoma, and I ascended the steps of the First Baptist Church of Drumright, Oklahoma. It was there that the man who would later become my grandfather, he was a young man at the time, the woman who would become my grandmother, they met there at the Baptist Church, and there They heard the gospel. There they opened their hearts to Christ. And the trajectory on our lives, on his future family, everything began to change. And uh, I had been parched in my own soul, but as I just sat on the steps of the church, and it was the actual church where they had come to Christ, the actual building. I just felt the mercy drops of the Lord just begin to sprinkle my parched soul. I thank God for whoever that pastor was who got the gospel to them. And then I drove about 20 miles from there to Bristow, Oklahoma, where my father was raised. And when he was in high school, this young man at the Assembly of God church there gave his heart to Christ. And so I set on the property that back in the 1930s was occupied by the Assembly of God there. And again, I just worshiped the Lord, thanked Him for so great salvation. And uh, now I I felt uh, this gentle shower of the Holy Spirit beginning to come down. I drove then to Tulsa to the church where on June 12, 1953, as a, a very small child in Vacation Bible School, I opened my heart to Jesus. Same church where your pastor served for a number of years And I sat in the auditorium alone, and my heart took me back to that day of days when I opened my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just worshiped the Lord. I went back to the very place where I had first opened my heart to Christ. Now, many years later in seminary, uh, a professor came to me. He said, you know, that couldn't have been a valid conversion. You were so young. Uh, He said, uh, you know, he said, after all, did you understand at such an early age, all of the ramifications of the atonement? I said, no, do you? Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't say, exegete the gospel and you'll be saved? Says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so I sat there and just drank in the memories and thanked the Lord for so great salvation and Kneeling at the very place where I had first opened my heart to Christ, I knelt again and dedicated the rest of my life that I would spend the rest of my life getting what happened to me there to other people. This message today is part of the ramifications of that, the book that I've written. And I pray that uh, during this time when you folks have experienced a lot of water, to be sure, that you'll find a sure anchor that you'll anchor in the gospel. I know that most of us here know the Lord Jesus. There may be friends among us today. I pray that there are, that you're not really sure where you stand with God. And if you were to die and now you know how tenuous all of life is, you really don't know. There are still question marks about where you might spend eternity. Well, today the Spirit of God is going to do an amazing thing in you And the greatest of all miracles is going to happen to you. But I want us to talk about anchoring in the gospel today. I want to remind you of a couple of passages of Scripture with which you're familiar. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Jesus said, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended... Everybody said amen. Floods came, amen. Winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. For it was founded on the rock. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19, this hope, speaking of the gospel, this good news about Jesus, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast, it enters the presence behind the veil. Well, let's let's talk. You know, a lot of people are using the term today, the gospel. Man, that's the gospel. What exactly is the gospel? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, a church that uh, was a powerful church, but it also had some theological problems and a lot of interpersonal problems. And Paul said, look, I want to clarify for you exactly the message that we preach. And he said in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Brothers, I want to clear the, clarify the gospel for you that I proclaimed to you. And he said, I passed on to you as of most importance that which I also received. So he's saying, now, what I'm about to say above every other message, above every other tenet of the faith, what I'm about to say to you is the big deal. It's what I passed on to you. As of most importance, here it is, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, if your so-called gospel doesn't have a bloody cross and an empty tomb, it's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Christ has done in our behalf. It's the good news about the salvation from sin's curse and from God's coming judgment on the world that God has provided through faith in the atoning work of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the Bible's integrating theme. It's the underpinning of all biblical truth. It's the skeletal structure of the Bible. It's the scarlet thread that weaves God's story together. If I were going to talk to somebody about this good news, what God has done for them in Christ, and they didn't have any orientation to church or to the Christian faith, I might say something like this. We were all far away from God because we chose to walk away from His love and His ways. We went our own way instead of God's way, so we all walked into darkness. With every step away from God, it grew darker. No one could find the way back to God, but God loved us still and sent Jesus, His Son, to shine the light to the world and bring us back to God. Only Jesus always went God's way, and only Jesus can bring us back to God. Going our own way instead of God's way is sin. We've all done it. Jesus paid for every step we've made away from God when He died for us on the cross. When he died, he took all our darkness and offered us all his light. Three days later, he broke out of death, and now he's alive forever. Now he offers the same forever life to us. Without Jesus, we would have been forever in the dark, without God, and without hope. But when we turn around and go God's way and trust Jesus to take us out of darkness, we become brand new. Jesus puts his light and his life in us. It's just like being born a second time. Jesus brings us light and new life. Brothers and sisters, that's the gospel. That's what we proclaim. Now, there are some unique aspects in this message that you're not going to find in any other religion of the world. Every time I hear some sophomoric professor say, well, you know, all religions are really saying the same thing, and the 18-year-old kids, tragically, because they haven't heard or whatever, don't know any better because, you know, the guy's got a goatee and he looks cool and intelligent. And, and, and uh, so he's saying all, all religions are really the same. You read all of, of the sacred texts of all, re, uh, of all religions, you're going to find out essentially they're saying the same thing, this professor would say. Whenever I hear somebody say that, I know that, number one, they have not read the Bible and they have not read the Quran. believe me, they are not saying the same thing. They're diametrically opposed as to how a person finds favor with God and forgiveness of sins. You see, in our message, you're going to hear something that you don't hear in any other religious system in the world. It's called the grace of God. That God takes the initiative that we didn't take the initiative. When we were without strength, the Bible says, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. It's God's unmerited favor toward us, not by works of righteousness which we have done, Paul said to Titus, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You're also going to find out about God's righteousness. You see, salvation isn't something, hear me now, salvation is not something that is attained, it is something that is obtained, something that is received by faith. It's not my, suppose you did live a really good life and a righteous life and, you know, uh, coach Little League and whatever, and, and, and you were a really good guy, okay, at your best, what have you achieved? Self-righteousness. And self-righteousness, we all know, man, that eventually begins to stink. You know, and, and that's what Isaiah said, all of our own righteousness, eventually it's kind of like putrid rags, filthy rags. But in the gospel, and by the way, this is the verse that really got a hold of Martin Luther, that really hit him, and and the joy of it just exploded into Uh, This 500-year celebration now we're having of the Reformation, Romans 1.17. We all quote Romans 1.16. It's great. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Jew first, also to the Greek. But then verse 17 is what caught Luther. Because in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. From faith. Starts with faith ends with faith, as it is written, the one made right by God will live by faith. God's righteousness comes down inside of us when we're born again. Man, that's good news. And that's the news that we have to the world. The death of Christ in our place, what uh, theologians call substitutionary atonement. He took our sins on Himself. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, He's the firstfruits now of all of those who have faith in Christ, and they will come forward at the last day. And then finally, a restored creation. We're looking for new heavens and a new earth. I think you folks probably believe that verse about the whole earth is groaning and waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Groaning for this uh, creation of a new heaven and a, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The gospel is the astounding announcement that all of God's pure wrath against sin landed on his son. And now with God's righteousness fully intact, he can be both just and the one who justifies, the one who has faith in Jesus. Now you're not going to hear a story like that anywhere else. So I want us to talk about how we anchor our lives in this message. I want to encourage you in this because uh, all of us have a tendency to drift. All of us have a tendency to to pull away from the tuggings that truly anchor and tether our lives. How do you stay anchored in a time like this? Some of you are going through personal tragedies that compound the general uh, challenges that all of you have been through in these last few weeks. How do you find a place to anchor? How do you find a bedrock place? We know the place. It's the gospel. But how do we anchor in the gospel? Let me talk about that briefly. Number one, by prizing the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 18, Paul talks about a man. He said, we sent to you the brother whose praise is in the gospel. What do you want on your tombstone? Wouldn't that be cool just to have a, uh, this is John Smith. He was the guy whose praise was in the gospel. I, I, You know, I don't know this for sure, but could it be that this man walked up to Paul and said, you know, Paul, your letters are being read in the churches. Peter's already calling them Scripture. Uh, you know, they, they could be read for centuries. Uh, uh, and you're greeting a lot of people. You're you're nice about that, mentioning people's names. Look, if you ever think of me in one of your letters, you don't have to say my name. It's not important. Just tell them I'm the guy whose praise was in the gospel. Tell them that I'm the guy who prized the gospel. I pray that... Uh, if I can impart anything by the Spirit to you today, that it would be that you prize this wonderful message that God has entrusted to us. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality, eternal life, to light through the gospel. The gospel is the story of the greatest rescue ever in history. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The gospel is the story of the greatest exchange, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us on the cross that we who knew no righteousness, by the way, might become the very righteousness of God in him, the greatest exchange. The gospel is the story of the greatest assurance Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul told the Philippian jailer, and you will be saved. And the gospel, of course, is the story of the greatest love. In a congregation this size, there's somebody struggling still asking, does God really love me? Does he, the perfectly holy one, really love me, knowing everything about me, knowing everything I've done, does he love me? The first verse that most of us learned I love the way it begins in the Amplified Version. God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world. Isn't that beautiful? For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that He even gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's prize the gospel. Somebody unpacked that verse in this beautiful way. This isn't original with me. God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest number, that He gave the greatest act, His only begotten Son, the greatest gift, that whoever, the greatest opportunity, believes the greatest simplicity, in Him, the greatest attraction, should not perish the greatest promise, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, everlasting life the greatest possession. Isn't that great? No wonder Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Cherish the old rugged cross. Prize the gospel. The second way that we tether our life in the gospel is to pray for the success of the gospel. Paul wrote the Thessalonian church. He said, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. There was a great man of God by the name of George Mueller. He had an unsaved friend who never professed faith in Christ. Mueller was faithful to share the gospel with him, continued to pray for him. He prayed for him for 50 years and George Mueller never saw him place his faith in Christ. But Mueller's friend at the open grave as Mueller's body was being lowered into the ground. He turned from his sins and he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. Your prayers are going to last longer than you do. Pray for the success of the gospel. Pray that the gospel will have rapid success. Evangelism really is just gathering the harvest of the victories that we've already won in prayer. So let me encourage you. This is a... a, Superlative time for all of you to let your light shine and to shine the love and life of Christ wherever you are. Third way that we anchor in the gospel is to protect the gospel. Notice what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He said, there are some who trouble you. They want to pervert the gospel of Christ. You know, the gospel itself is pristine, But there are ugly barnacles that can latch on to the gospel, regrettably. And uh, tragically, too many preachers have allowed that to happen. They have perverted the gospel of Christ. But Paul said, man, get this. You talk about the most blistering thing he ever said in any of his letters. Look at this. He said, look, if we or an angel from heaven comes and preaches any other gospel to you other than this one about the simplicity of what God has done in Christ through his death and resurrection. He said, let that person be a curse, and then he said it again for double emphasis. He said, let me say it one more time. I don't care if it's me, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. Now get this, Paul, you see what he's saying? He's saying, look, if I come back at a later date and I start preaching some bizarro message to you, that doesn't line up with the simplicity of the gospel I've already given to you, let the curse of God, anathema, come on me. And then he got even bolder. He said, man, I don't care if it's an angel. I'm not talking about a fallen angel. I don't care if it's an angel straight from heaven who comes. Man, you talk about bold. He said, I I don't care if an angel comes and gives some kind of different message. Let that angel be accursed. I'd call that protecting the gospel, wouldn't you? And that's what God has called us to do. Paul's most stinging rebuke was for those who mess with the gospel. He said, I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. He said, We didn't give or yield in submission even for an hour so that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now, the gospel is being attacked. On many sides, there are direct assaults like militant Islam or universalism that's crept into the church saying that everybody's automatically saved. There's also the distortions of the gospel, things that latch on to the gospel, but there's also just flat-out distraction. It's so easily easy to get distracted onto something else. Paul said in First Peter, or Peter rather said, First Peter chapter 3 verse 15, He said, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being ready, prepared to make a defense. It's the Greek word apologia, where we get the word apologetics. To make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and do it with respect. Did you hear that? With gentleness and with respect. Let the other guy finish the sentence. Have you ever noticed that people with weak arguments, they lift the decibel level of what they're saying higher and higher? The weaker the argument, the higher the decibel level. Look, we've got a message that will stand the test. Just stand for the truth of the gospel. And then live in the privileges of the gospel. That's how you anchor in the gospel. Several months ago, uh, about a year ago now, I, I was shaving looking at my visage in the mirror in the morning which is frightening enough and i was i'm shaving and suddenly the holy spirit spoke to me and said you're living below your privileges and so i began to listen in my spirit to the spirit and i i was shaving with a dull blade because uh, i i had gotten conditioned as and uh, every guy knows this who who shaves that you know uh Blades are getting more and more expensive, and they have for the last several years, and to the to the point where you know it made a lot of guys really mad, and uh, I was there, but I conditioned myself, you know, to use those dull blades as long as possible because they're just so dadgum expensive, you know. So finally, I got mad enough where I uh, I switched, you know, and I I went to one of those cheap blade companies that mails it to you in in the mail and but still good, you know, sharp blades. And so I'm shaving with that dull. I'm still shaving with a dull blade and trying to, to, to get that one as long as possible. Man, I had several packs by that time of unused sharp blades right there in the cabinet. And the Lord said to me, see what you're doing? You're, you're shaving below your privileges. And it's the same way with the gospel. man. we live below our privileges, who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. Let's not live below the privileges that are ours in the gospel. Live in the power of the gospel. I already quoted it, Romans 1.16, every believer ought to know it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Also live in the blessing of the gospel. Paul said in Romans 15, he said, I know that when I come to you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And as I was driving down here yesterday from uh, where I live in the Dallas area, I was saying, Lord, let me just come in the fullness of the blessing of, of, of the gospel of Christ. It was my privilege several years ago, uh, well, over 20 now, when uh, the wall came down the end of the 80s, and uh, almost 30 now, and I, suddenly Russia was open. You know, the Bible talks about nations being born in a day. Did you know that God is also able to dissolve nations in a day? One day there was this massive entity that stood against the gospel called the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, and the next day it had vanished from the face of the earth. Remember that? God is able to do great things. Amen. And so suddenly uh these folks who had been deprived for 70 years of the gospel, now the doors were flung wide open and I I felt that I was walking into history. Uh quickly I went in uh, the city of Minsk in Belarus and uh this beautiful concert hall filled with people. I was in a little anteroom the first night in the back. I said, "God, who's going to hear you know, some unknown preacher from Texas, why should anybody come? But, Lord, please put a few hundred people in, that, in those seats. Man, I, I stepped out. Every seat was full. They had uh, posted guards at the balcony because they were afraid the balcony was going to collapse. So many people were up there, hundreds of people standing around the wall. And as I shared the gospel, such a hunger, such a thirst. And when I gave the invitation for people to come and receive Christ, Hundreds of people rushed to the front, weeping and, and, and crying and receiving the Lord. And afterwards, a big Belarusian guy with a thick mustache came up to me and in broken English. He said to me, This, he hugs me, <laughs> that crushed me, which is a tough thing to do. And, and he said, This is the most wonderful story I have ever heard. And I assured him, It's the most wonderful story I have ever heard. This wonderful privilege that we have to live in the blessing of the gospel of Christ and then live in the hope of the gospel. I'm going to talk more about that tonight. But the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. The enemy's not interested in a little sparring match with you. He wants to rip you to shreds. uh, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, uh, Satan's desired you, he wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to steal, kill, destroy. Jesus said, on the contrary, I've come to give you life, that more abundantly. But what does the enemy go after when he fights you? He goes after the jugular. He goes after that which is of essence to you, that if you lose, uh, we, we lose it all Faith, hope, and love. Paul said, uh, look, these are the three that, that remain. Faith, hope, and love. So what does the enemy go after? He's going after it in some of your lives right now. Faith, hope, and love. He attacks faith by trying to turn us into skeptics. He attacks love by trying to turn us into critics. But he attacks hope by trying to turn us into cynics. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what the circumstances were that got you there. If we become critical, cynical, skeptical, the enemy is beating the spiritual daylights out of us. We can counter that by the grace of God. going to talk some more about that tonight. But live in the hope of the gospel. With Jesus... In, in fact, Tim, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, first thing he said to him, the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. With Jesus, massive hope. Without Jesus, no hope. It's as simple as that. Live in the hope of the gospel. And then finally, proclaim the gospel. Hearts are open right now. We know the Great Commission. Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, all of you go. Talking to all believers. Into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every person. Shortly after I graduated from college, my first full time pastorate was in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And it was uh, the time of the Jesus movement, the time when kids were hanging out in the park by hundreds. And man, we went after them. And we began to see young men and women come to faith in Christ in uh, wonderful, large numbers. And uh, the church began to fill up with these newly born-again young, young people. One day, a couple came to the church. I hadn't remembered seeing them, and they came up to me after the service, and they said, uh, uh, Pastor, I'm Mike. This is Brenda. Uh, we're engaged, and uh, this is a cool church. We've never been here before. Uh, we're going to get married. Uh, would you officiate at our wedding? I said, Well, maybe. There are some things I need to ask you first. And uh, one of them is this, do both of you have a personal relationship with Christ as your Savior and Lord? And they both innocently looked at me. They said, well, no, sir, we don't. And I said, well, come right this way, you know, and and, uh, had the joy of leading Mike and Brenda to the Lord and officiating at their wedding a couple weeks later and watching them uh, grow in the Lord. And, And Mike really became one of the young leaders of the church over the next several months. And then uh, one morning I received a call that he had been tragically killed in a car accident. I remember going to the apartment and praying with this young bride who was now a young widow. Through her tears and my tears, we thanked the Lord that we knew exactly where Mike was, that he was in the presence of the Lord. We planned the funeral, and and I don't remember much about the funeral, but I remember walking away from the gravesite with my wife, Naomi. And and uh, as we were walking away, I heard a voice behind me. And a man said, "Mr. Shibley." And I turned around. And he said, uh, "Sir, you don't you don't know me. I'm Mike's father." He said, um, "For the last several months, Mike's been calling me. And he's been saying things like this, Dad. Uh, it's it's so great to know Jesus. It's it's so wonderful to lay your head on the pillow at night and all the guilt be gone, Dad. I." I'm just so grateful that I really know the Lord now. (coughs) And his father said, uh, looked at me and told me that story. And he said, uh, how can I ever thank you for leading my son to Christ? He said, I'll I'll be forever grateful. Let me ask you, is there going to be anybody who will walk up to you in heaven and say, uh, just want to thank you. Uh, I'm here because of you. You were the one who kept loving me when everybody else said I was hopeless. You were the one, you weren't like the religious people who walked on the other side of the street. You kept caring. (coughs) You kept believing. Let me tell you, that's going to be a crown of rejoicing for you. And I want to encourage you. Let the grace of God come into you today and prize and protect the gospel. I've been praying for you. And I've been praying that nobody would leave here with any question marks in their heart. But that this would be the day when you would say (coughs) yes to Christ. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this precious people. I thank you for their great love for you. And I thank you, Lord, for those perhaps some who've come here a long time or maybe somebody's visiting today. Maybe there's somebody here, I believe there is, who just really isn't sure. But every time they think about death and dying, there are question marks. Lord, let this be the day when they walk across the line, firmly place their faith in you, turning from their sins and receiving your grace and your salvation. I pray for those, Lord, who have come to you in the past, but the cares of this life, and there are so many, have somehow distracted them away from the centrality of Jesus and the anchoring of the gospel. Father, bring them back this day. And Lord, right now I pray, oh Jesus, for every man, every woman, every family that has been affected by the hurricane and its aftermath and the flooding. Father, lift them up in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, I declare over each of their lives that you cause them to triumph always in Christ. And Lord, that through you, they are going to emit the fragrance of Jesus in every place. And so, Father, I speak the blessing of Christ. On Pastor Paul, upon Sandra, their family, and I'm asking, Lord, for your grace to come upon them, and Lord, this wonderful team that you've assembled. And Father, let this be a landmark day for this great church. Father, I thank you for how they have uh, moved in aid to others, they themselves being in, in serious need. And, Lord, I'm asking you to compensate, and I believe that you're going to give them back. And I declare in the name of Jesus a sevenfold grace and blessing for that which they have spoken and that which they have done and how they have poured out of their energy and their life and their resources. And, Father, I thank you, and I declare in the name of Jesus that they go from grace to grace and from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And I speak over every family, every single person here, a double portion of the grace of God, the grace of God, the enablement of Christ to come for these challenging days and that you'll stand in the spirit of a conqueror who triumphs always in Christ Jesus. And Father, I declare it. I thank you, Lord, that this which the enemy has meant to wipe out families and to cause despair and hopelessness. Lord, you're going to turn it around in the mighty name of Jesus. And, Lord, uh, instead it's going to be, instead of a death, a new beginning and a new birth. Father, for families, for businesses, for homes. Lord, I believe you and I give glory to you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask us to keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I want to pray for anyone here today who says, David, I I, I just really don't know where I stand with God. Please give me the privilege of praying for you today. If if you just say, uh, I'm, I'm just not sure, whenever I think about death and dying, I just don't have that bedrock assurance that I know that if I were to die, I would be in the presence of the Lord that's you today, this is, this is your day of days. This is the day when the assurance is going to come to you that you're a child of God, that all your sins are forgiven, that you're a new person in Christ. And I'm so honored that I just get to be part of that today. Let me pray for you. If you say, that that's me, would you pray for me? I'm just not sure of where I stand with the Lord. I want you to lift your hand, keep it high for just a moment. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Others? Others. All right. God bless you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're just going to worship the Lord. And I'm going to ask for those who lifted their hands. I want to have the privilege of praying for you. Though I don't want to embarrass you, I do. I do want to call you forward. The reason is this. Jesus, everyone that he, he called, he called publicly. Called him to step across a line, to publicly declare him. And he promised this. He said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. And so we're going to help those who have raised their hands. There are others of you who are just away from the Lord. You want to make a fresh commitment of your life to Christ today. Or there's something that, that, that you know that you need to put on the altar today. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Let's stand to our feet. Let's just begin to worship the Lord, if we could, in a song. And I'm going to ask those of you who raised your hands, others who say, I just want to commit my life to Christ today, or I want to come in fresh commitment to Him. Let this be the day. Hey, look at what you've been through. What is there to lose? Now is the time to walk across the line and say, I'm, I'm in for Jesus. Would you come right now as we sing? Let's sing together.